Hi everybody, it's Daniel. We've got an exciting episode for one of the pinnacle Hold Steady tracks, Stevie Nicks, coming up for you. Kyle Undum, you might remember from our Minneapolis Scene episode, rejoins us. We have the full trio of Mike, Sean, and me on as well. We've got a special bonus contest for this episode. In our musical discussion of Stevie Nicks, the song, we miss a key point about the distinction between the A and B sections of the song. We didn't do it on purpose, but let's make the most of it. If you listen to this episode and figure out what we missed, email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com and tell us. The first person to correctly identify the mistake will win a copy of either the Hold Steady's new album, Open Door Policy, or of Separation Sunday. Your choice and your choice of format. To win, point out one thing we did talk about in comparing the A section to the B section, and then call out the big thing we missed. Do that by writing to mail at shortmanstudios.com. Okay, let's get into it. Listeners, hold steady fandom. Welcome back to a positive jam that deep dive into the Hold Steady discography that you've come to know and love. This season, season two, which we're deep in the middle of, explores track by track the sophomore release of the Hold Steady, Separation Sunday. And we're up to track six, Stevie Nicks. And joining me on this podcast are Dan Schwartzman of uh, Shortman Studios and uh, the originator of this podcast along with uh, Michael Brooks-Taylor, who, who were the co-hosts for the season one, which which focused on Almost Killed Me. And we have a special guest, uh, Kyle Undum. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Okay, okay, cool, cool. We have a global podcast this uh, episode. Kyle is joining us from Kobe, Japan. Dan, as always, is joining us from Valencia, Spain. Mike's joining us from the East Coast of the United States in D.C., my old stomping grounds. And I'm joining you from the Pacific Northwest, Portland, Oregon. So... We have a global footprint. Uh, east meets West. The Northern Hemisphere meets Southern Hemisphere. We're all very excited. So, Stevie <laughs> Nicks, uh, listen to the excitement on this podcast. The Northern Hemisphere is meeting we, the Southern Hemisphere. We are. I, it's strange, isn't it? It's strange. We've reached world domination of this podcast, so we're very excited. Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. Talk to me, guys. Uh, do, do you want me to throw out a question, or, if, or is there a question that you want to answer? We can play that game. I want game. you to throw out. I want you to throw out a question, Sean. All right, all right, okay. So here, here's an interesting one. Why is Stevie Nicks spelled N-I-X? Any thoughts on that? I have a few, but that's the correct spelling, right? <laughs> is it? It's funny because as you were mulling which question to ask, that was that came to mind. It's, yeah. Stevie Nicks spells her name C-K-S. Right. Well, it's because of Nicks, like, cut it off, like it's done, dead. Right. So Stevie Nicks, it's like a pun of the singer Stevie Nicks and right. Nicks, like, dead. And there's a lot of resurrection and troubled women themes throughout the album. And I think in some ways this is a culmination of those two ideas in the song title a glamorous person meeting a not so great fate perhaps cool i, I like that and, and do, do, do either of you guys have that thoughts i i was just thinking i i noticed it 
and I, I don't know too much about Stevie Nicks, but I did notice the spelling was different. It, it always struck me as like, maybe this is spelled spelled differently looking at the song title. And the only thing I could think is that maybe it was just intentional just to, to spark conversation on a pod, on a podcast such as this in 2020 and 2021. This this will get the bastards riled up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think it, obviously I think it was intentional for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I know X is kind of a, it's kind of a clever way in, in the punk rock community to spell things and, uh, abbreviate things so maybe that oh, was yeah, 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 yeah. A kind of a thing x is on our right. hands i don't know you can right, go, in, right, go right. a number of ways with it but oh yeah the, yeah that's the, a good the, x, the x meaning what's the the punk the, straight, uh, edge. Uh, straight, straight edge. thank you very much yeah, yeah. right yeah 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 uh, dan any thoughts yeah that's exactly what i was thinking is just like rock like just misspelling things in the most brutally phonetic way possible is that's what this reminds me of and so just swallowing up the cks as an x and that's just this is a pretty rock song so that's all i've got for that i think there's no wrong answer here so i think all those are right i'd just like to throw to the mix there's a lice medication called nix and it's spelled n-i-x and so i'm wondering if this is also leading into the sort of gutter punk ethos of Holly, who's probably hasn't bathed in a while. Maybe she hasn't washed in a while and there's that she's infested in some way with this. That's just a, a weird sort of out there kind of way of reading that. So that's that was my opening salvo for a question. Anything else that you guys want to just throw it out? I, I, I know we I know I have a lot of thoughts on this, so. Well, that, that's a good one because Stevie Nicks is like a sex symbol, right? So if it's right. like, call her Stevie Nicks, but with an X, because she has lice, that's like, she's gross instead of hot. Right. This song has everything. That's what I wanted to say. That's what I was champing at the bit to say. I think this song hits for the whole steady cycle. It's got punky yelling. It's got nasty, mean lyrics. It's got 70s musicality and references and it's got that heart of gold schmaltzy piano sing-song sort of bridge too so for me what i'm looking for in a whole steady song is all of those things and therefore this song ranks extremely high on my list of all hold steady songs so i just want to throw that out there that i think this song is really really up there top five maybe even the number one best whole steady song yeah i agree this song was definitely on repeat for me when i first became enraptured with this album this one of the songs that i went back to frequently along with hood rat and along with hornets hornets and along with resurrection i just played this one over and over again because you're right mike it does it does hit for the cycle you've got at least up until that point we have the entire range of the Hold Steady's musical palette. They demonstrate everything here. They've got hard rocking stuff. They've got balladry. They've got life piano breaks. They've, they've got a lot of really cool, fun stuff in here. And it just demonstrates just how adept they are at focusing all of it in into one song. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Kyle, anything? Yeah, musically, I think, yeah, I agree with both of you on what's been said. It was a track that when I first heard it and I still do the the opening riff it kind of the off kilter 
it kind of feels like I'm driving a stick shift and I can't get into, into proper gear. And it's always kind of hit me as this, oh, this without the, the piano meandering and the breakdown, I would not like this song as much, but I think that melody, that beautiful melody that it kind of shifts into so smoothly makes that opening more palatable for me. Cause I know it's coming, right. but at first, when I first heard it, I was like, Oh my goodness, what's going on here. It's a bit, a bit too much for me to, to digest, but I think it, it's, um, it works. It works in the end as a, as a hard hitting and then kind of a ballad. So musically, I think it, it's pretty brilliant how they, how they shift between the two. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Dan. The two things I'll add, I, I agree with everybody on where this ranks and so forth. It's sort of the centerpiece of the album. I think it's really, mm -hmm. I, I don't know plot wise, but just in terms of, this is sort of the highlight in the middle of the album. The first, I talk about how strong the first three tracks are. And then after this, there are a couple more highlights. But the two things I was going to add are, first of all, lots of very Minneapolis or St. Paul uh, song. We have the Mississippi River, Mary Tyler Moore, lots of references that are embedded in here. So that's the river is again a very central part of this song and then the other thing I, I won't get into lyrics beyond that for now but i was trying to as i was listening to this before today's episode i was breaking down the structure because there's not a lot of chords here it's basically i can't the riff i read it was a and g i can't it's definitely in a so the a section is in the chord of a or the key of a you have an A section that goes tw two times. It's basically an intro and then two times the A section of 30 seconds. You get a B section, which is in E. It shifts to the E chord and then it's playing between E and A. Then you go back to the A one more time and then it's basically three versions of a B section. You have the piano solo. Then you have sort of the first version of the B section, but with a little bit more stretched out to for Craig to land on those Lord to be 17 or 33 forever. And then the guitar fade out is essentially the B section. And so it's interesting because this, to Kyle's point, you have that super chunky stop start riff. <laughs> and then it does totally, you totally leave that behind. Obviously there's the, the it's a related key and all that stuff, but it is, by the time you get to the halfway point of the song, you're done with that. And it's, and, and this is a pretty long song. It's the second longest on the album and on the longer side of what the whole steady was doing early on. And so I just think that's really songwriting wise, something interesting to look at is how they totally sort of hint at the B section once, and then they just go all in on it for the second half of the song. Yeah, you bring up something very interesting. This is the long, this, this is the longest song on the album. Do I have that right? Resurrection is longer. It's, right, right. Both right. of them have long fades, and so if you like cut out the in Resurrection, it's that like the bells that are dinging, and here it's just the guitar fading out. I don't know. Right. I didn't do the math on which would be longer if you get out the crucifixion front. cruise feels longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but what I'm getting at, one of the things that that I've noticed is that when you that every song, every album, most albums contain 
a relatively long song. And that long song is going to crowd a lot of hold steady world building, a lot of hold steady ethos, for want of a better word, a lot of hold steady sort of referential stuff. And it's also going to pick up a, a lot of the refrains from other songs. I, th I think the best example is uh, Slight Discomfort on Heaven Is Whenever. I mean, that's another one. It's, it's another sort of uh, you know album ending song. And this is where I, I see Craig being somewhat Dylan-esque in that a lot, of, you know, a lot of lengthy Dylan songs are usually close out the album or sit in the middle, almost as if you're coming from the end of, you know, of, of what would have been or side one into side two or the opening of side two. It's either track five on side one or track one on side two. And I, those songs, the placement there is not accidental, you know, at least in Dylan's case. He wanted you to perk up and say, look, I'm going to say, I know I've been rocking and having fun, but I'm going to say some serious shit now. And I think that this song operates in the same way that, say, Gates of Eden would have operated on uh, bringing it all back home. And of course, you know, like the, the last song on the album is, is lengthy as well. So this is where like a lot of a lot of hold steady milieu finds its place. And this is where a lot of the threads get connected. And you could see, you know, that there's a lot of threads getting connected in this song alone. And we're going to see that same thing happen by the time we get to track 10. So, yeah. Sean, I just wanted to add to that, that I did read an interview from Magnet Magazine. I can't remember when it was published, but Craig did mention that the first two records at least were sequenced for vinyl. And this would have been the or this oh, is the second, two. this yeah. is the kickoff track mm. to the side two. So yeah, yeah, so that's a really good point, yeah. I wanna go back to the riff. Can we go back to the riff, we the can opening do riff? We can Let's do whatever... go back to the opening riff, cause I, okay. it's my favorite. I think it's interesting, Kyle, that you said that it's like a little bit abrasive or challenging. I think it's great. I agree that it's off kilter and it throws you off. And I, I've, you know, throughout the podcast series been really, obsessive about upstroms and downstroms and one of the reasons that this riff throws you off is because the first strum is a downstrom and then it waits a quarter note and then hits an upstrom for the next note so you think of smells like teen spirit which goes dun 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 That's the the strumming on Stevie Nicks is the same as Smells Like Teen Spirit, except it takes out that second dun. So it's dun. And because you have to wait that extra little bit for the second thing to hit, that kind of it's a little bit confusing. Or right? like you said, I think that stick shift analogy is really good. Like it feels like it's getting stuck a little bit. And I think that's just a really cool thing that. Again, I think this is something that ACDC does really effectively, like rotates on to, between the on and off beats in this way. And I think it's like a great appropriation from Tad there. And I just love the way it sounds. And I love the little da-na-na-na is just a half step on and off on the B string, which is a lot. We talked before about how the high strings and just doing a lot with a little there. So I just want to send up some fireworks for how awesome i think that the opening riff is and how it just sends everything it's so like 
percussive and starts moving everything forward. I think it enables some of those like right like all that stuff kind of all kind of comes out from this rhythmic choice right at the beginning. So I just want to really flag that riff as being special. Cool. Dan, do you have any thoughts on on the on the musicality or the riffs or do, do you want to start going into lyrics? I think the thing in the musicality is Mike put it that this brings everything in the whole city. And I don't think Mike even covered all the things that it does bring. But in terms of the, this has the Layla, as Craig, I think, has put it on his own podcast or on the Hold Studies podcast, the Layla middle section where Franz is just noodling, probably not in a meter. Like it's, pro- it's probably like just free form if you were to put this on the, on his sheet music, it's probably just Franz for as much time as he wants, whatever chords he wants, whatever, because nobody else is there. And at the same time, and the piano is there, at, and I was jotting notes, I think there are times where the organ is playing off of it too. In the first B section, you have a couple of interesting things. The drums start to chug a little bit. And then there's the keys and the organ are playing with each other. But you have such a strong guitar riff at the beginning. And then at the end, we're still in the B section, but then the guitar is coming back. And this is the most guitar, I think the most guitar hero moment that Tad has on the album to a degree. And so that's just interesting is that both of them are getting room to shine and work really working well with each other. And so I thought the ACDC comment was really apt. That was what I was hearing there at the beginning. It sounds a little bit, it sounds a little bit to me like they're Jungle Land too. Like it's not, Jungle Land is the last track on Born to Run by Springsteen. Springsteen's putting all of his chips into the middle there in a way that this is not quite, but it's got that scope and that sort of kitchen sink feel a little bit. Right, 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 right. That's a fantastic comparison with, with Jungle Land. Yeah, you could you could see like Springsteen going, yep, we're, we're kitchen sink, we're throwing it all in there. <laughs> Clarence, get your sacks. <laughs> You're gonna be out here for a while. Yeah. What what about lyrics? And here's a question that I didn't really want to ask up top because I first of all, there is no right answer here, I, I I think. But I think it really gets to the sort of meat of the song. And it's almost why the musicality shifts so frequently and so and, and, and so abruptly at least for your normal everyday hold steady song. Who is telling this story? Who is narrating? Is it Holly? Is it Gideon? Or is it someone else? I have a, a few thoughts in this, obviously, because that's that's all I concentrate on when it comes to <laughs> hold steady in general and this podcast in particular, unfortunately. But who's telling the story? Any thoughts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, tee off. To, to tee off, get us on the green. <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant question because I've I've often wondered the exact same thing and now listening to it back a little bit more closely, I'm like, where? And I think it shifts with the music. I think it kind of shifts with as the music shifts. There's this party going on. Who's t- who is it about? Where are they? What's going on at the beginning? There's first person. I was keyed up. Keys jangled in the stalls. And it goes to third person reference where he's talking about she, which is probably about Holly. I think Craig puts himself in this song as much as he puts 
puts Holly in it. And I often will see, I, I almost think there's this juxtaposition between Craig and Holly writing, Craig writing from, he kind of is maybe the character as well. So I think right. it, it's kind of all over the place, but I, yeah. So I think it, the, the narrative goes from, from a first person reference to a third person. And it just kind of, it's left up to the listener to kind of decipher what's going on. I think that's the brilliance of, of most of the writing on this record is you go back and forth. And unless you really concentrate on what's going on, you kind of get lost in the mix and it's like, it kind of works out in, in its own way. So. Yeah. I, the shifts in pronouns and shifts in point of view make you go, well, wait a minute. Is, is this overmind narrator telling the story? Is this Holly telling the story? And I have a theory that it could be a different person that maybe we haven't explored yet. Um, it's probably like most of my theories, unfounded and completely without warrant. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it, it yeah, shot. <laughs> yeah. No, come on, <laughs> buddy. Uh, um, but yeah. So uh, Dan or Mike, any thoughts about narration here? Yeah, I think when I first heard it, and this, there is a simple, straightforward answer, which is just that it's it's the singer or it's Craig or Craig, the character or the perspective of the person singing the song is the same narrator throughout. And it works that way. I think if you read it, the song doesn't require a shift in perspective to still be coherent, I think. And it's just like, met someone at a party and then I was half dead. So it's like, I was partying, then I, the same person, ran into trouble, et cetera. And that's the way I heard it for a long time. And I liked it that way because I identified with the point of view of the song and it found it enjoyable to kind of go on this adventure along with the person. But I think what Kyle said is really smart. And I think it's the I Got Born Again is obviously sort of a big signpost for it being Hallelujah who's right. talking uh, as we sort of decoded in Banging Camp and will continue to decode through the rest of the album. So it's like, yeah, does she said, I love the guys you can't trust or where does the end quote come? You know, right. where's the, where's the quotation close? And, you know, we don't know the answer to that, but I think it's like a fun punctuation question. Uh, but to me, that's like, <laughs> we, we hit the fun punctuation questions on this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's also like one of the cool things about this in the, We've 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 come back to this shift in perspective. And I think what's really masterful about this song is that it doesn't is this observation or this possibility that it doesn't strictly matter to your understanding of the song. And I think that creates another level of sort of intersection between personal and universal that makes this a more like communal thing, which the whole study is always going after this kind of communality in the experience of their shows and in the in the culture around the band and i think the fact that you can take this journey as though it's your own or you can bring in a bunch of different characters and perspectives sort of gets at that sort of intersection between the personal and the universal so i think it's a really it's one of the only ones i can think of where it's that smooth either way whether you think of it as multiple characters or a single character right 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 dan I don't have strong opinions. I think the musical hints are pretty strong that, that arguing that it's a shift in perspective. I don't have a strong take. I'll just say that a shout out to the Hold Steady Pro Boards, which is linked in the genius.com notes, but also we've we popped up there once and seems like a very cool community called Steady Dedicated. And we've 
refer to their chronology. They go deep on the whole chronology and the link to this song. And so they have, they have a perspective that I would not have had before I looked at it, but, and I don't know. So, if well, that, so, so I, you want to share it real quick? I mean, is it, yeah, is, I want is, to know what it is. Well, they, I don't know it. They apparently, if I didn't, I didn't follow everything, but their argument is that this is about a one Mary. So there's the characters in the whole steady universe apparently extend not to just Charlemagne, Gideon, and Holly, but there's the narrator, there's a Mary, and there's a Jesse. And Jesse, I think, comes in after the album. So, oh, well. so, so I, I have not looked at that, but this made me think of, so when, when I hear the multiple narrators, I also hear, in a lot of Hold Steady albums, there's always a song that references an older woman who's been on the scene for a while. It's it's good to see you back in the bar, man, baby. It's good to see you back in the bars. Joke about Jamaica has that that song about the, the older woman at, at the bars who's seeing who's seeing the the young girls coming up on the scene. Just they just keep getting younger, right? And the lines that made me think about that this that portions of this song, not the entire song, could be narrated from the perspective of an older woman on the scene who's looking at Holly and seeing the path that she's walking. You know. And is a a little frightened for her, right? But also lamenting, God damn it, you can't stay 17 forever. Ah, to be 33 forever. So she's that's kind of where I I get that that and I, I wonder where they get names like Mary and Jesse, because those are interesting, but those are <laughs> that could be the name of the of this older woman. But portions of the song make me go, someone older is seeing, is witnessing this and is sharing this information. And slightly misses when she could her own romanticized past of finally finding the camps down on the Mississippi River and how transformative, fun, druggy, dangerous, violent, life-altering in good and bad ways it was. So I, I, I'll take a look at that link as well. But I, I had not read that, but I, I, was there, I was kind of already like, oh, there's something else going on here. So yeah, interesting. I love the idea of the music changing with new characters coming in reminds me of Peter and the wolf or like the theme to when new characters enter in musical theater and stuff. And that Daniel's talked repeatedly about how this is a more of an, like an epic effort by the whole right. study. And it just makes me think of that level of ambition to sort of have musical shifts accompany different characters coming in. So I really, that idea resonates with me a lot. And I also just want to share that I was playing this song out loud in the kitchen while I was making dinner and my wife that to be 17 forever, like mm -hmm. it was like, she was like offended by it. <laughs> she was so like angry. She was like, how could you even say something like that? Like you want to be 17 forever. Is that, are you crazy? That's insane. What are you talking about? And then I was like, well, he does say to be 33 forever too. So I think he's kind of making fun of that a little bit. Right. But I just like, when you brought up from the perspective of, you know, an, a woman who's older, I won't say that my wife is an older woman, but I'll say that a woman who's older than 17, that that immediately flashed in my mind as <laughs> Bertie was like, what is this guy talking about? So. Right. And, and again, I think the musical transition sort of like the opening, like, you know, she came into the party in a long black shawl, you know, which immediately makes you think of the, the title Stevie Nicks, right? How she was sort of witch-like and would dance around. If you've ever seen her in concert, as I have, 
She's she's never without that shawl. She's dancing around it, casting spells on the audience. She's she's amazing. She's an amazing woman. But of course, someone it was, I think it was Dan who pointed out that most of the references, at least on this album, come from the 1980s. Right? I think Mike gets the credit here. Uh, okay, yeah, Mike, Mike gets credit. So because my entire theory hinges on on this. Please, so please. <laughs> so Mike um, also gets the blame if wait, he gets it wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Wait, let's. For, say what you say what you got to say, and then we'll decide who's responsible. So for, when we had this obvious '70s reference to Stevie Nicks in full Fleetwood Mac regalia, what we're dealing with is like an older persona, an older woman, a someone older on the party scene. Which means you know you have this sort of omniscient narrator, whether it's Gideon or whether it's the Craig Finnes narrator, we don't know. But he's talking about how this woman came to the party. And then when we get to that sort of moving keyboard noodling that Franz does, we hear her voice. That's, wh- that's why the, the, the musical dynamic changes. At least that's my theory. Please attack it where you see the weaknesses, if I'm missing something here. Well, just a shawl as an indication of age. I mean, if you go that direction, like suddenly it's like an 80-year-old <laughs> right, woman. Right, right, like, right. Ah, 19th century. Nice party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I'll add that the, of course, the 17 is, and first I'll say a mea culpa. On Hornets, Hornets, I said that was the only song on the album that doesn't mention the title, but Stevie Nicks is nowhere in this right. song. Right, right, right. But <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> and her name was Stevie Nicks. <laughs> it's the nuke, it's the chorus. <laughs> she said, hi, I'm Stevie Nicks. <laughs> <laughs> but her famous solo song was The Edge of 17. And so I think that's where you have that obvious tie. And last week we talked about Charlemagne's music as sort of the Darth Vader's theme. And so that's also like continuing that argument, you know, and something we've talked about throughout the season, the music is so much more in tune with and to the level of the lyrics that kind of makes them yin and yang here. Kyle, you've been quiet way in, man. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I, I, the main, the main, point of this song for me always comes back to the seven being 17 versus being 33 forever and it it always has has struck me as this interesting comparison of the two ages and when this record came out in 2005 i don't know if if i need to go so much into this with with age but the hold steady started when you know is craig's kind of adult band i mean he had a head start and i think that has always spoken to I don't know, kind of his lyricism and kind of his mature songwriting from the get-go. It wasn't a band that he started when he was 18 or anything. So he had a lot of experience. And when this record came out, or at least when this song was written, I believe he was 33. So I think there was this real, this self-realization, like, holy crap, I'm 33. I mean, I remember turning 33 and it was like, all right, now I'm kind of cruising into my 30s. This is kind of scary. I'm, I'm reflecting back on on my youth and and whatnot. And so I think there's this interesting juxtaposition between 17 and 33 and that he maybe from that perspective of whoever's telling this story wants to be 17 forever, but also accepting that the person is 33 and that's, oh, ought to be 33 forever. I'm gonna look back on this when I'm 50. 
be like, ah, oh, to be 33 forever will be kind of an interesting thing to look at. And not to go too far into it, but you know, this is a, this record is kind of based on Catholicism and, and Craig's kind of battle with the religion. And I think he was, he was kind of battling, going back and forth between going back into church and, and whatnot through this, through this time. And there is, I mean, some, according to some sources, Jesus was crucified at 33. So that, that could be another little bit to it too. So maybe it all connects in that way, but I think it's, it's one of those most wonderful, wonderful, um, comparisons between those two ages yeah, yeah i just i just love that part of the song yeah how he kind of snarls it to ah to be you know he's just like you know how do you to express that emotion it's pretty powerful something else that makes you think that the, the narrator is either talking about this older woman that i was alluding to earlier is the line she she she, she, she said you remind me of rod stewart when he was young you've got passion and you think that you're sexy and all the punks th think that you're dumb. Well, only someone who knew what Rod Stewart was like when he was young, back in the mid seventies, would be able to say a line from that perspective, right? Look, I, I know, <laughs> I remember what Rod Stewart was like, you know, in the seventies. With "Do you think I'm sexy?" You remind me of him, and all the punks think think that you're dumb. Yeah, I, I, I still, I'm sorry to keep hammering away at this, but I, I'm just so even reading more closely the lyrics makes me think that the teller, that there are sections of the song in which we're dealing with that sort of older woman. And it's funny, Kyle, you bring up Craig's Catholicism, and I'm wondering if there isn't a Catholic analog to this sort of older woman, mother of heaven, which is very important in the Catholic faith, this sort of a person who's going to guide you through your experiences, or this person who you were going to look to and pray to as someone to help lead the way through religious transformation. So, I, you know, I, I think she's kind of the Mary character, uh, uh, this older woman that I keep alluding to. In track one, Holly was with so many skaters. This character yeah. is with soccer players. Not mutually exclusive, but <laughs> distinct. It's an important distinction, I think. You know, soccer players <laughs> are like the cool, good-looking guys skaters are the like losers you know well now we've just alienated our <laughs> skater audience thanks, thanks. But, we br but we brought in the soccer players and they're more popular <laughs> right so <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> this podcast is now sponsored by F fubu oh, right is not a soccer the, brand the, the soccer <laughs> What, what you know? What's what? What is it? F O Fubo F U B O. What's the national oh, soccer? FIFA FIFA. Yeah, yeah. FIFA FIFA. Thank you very much. FIFA. We run through the Fs. We're just going to go through the phone book. They're, they're both. They're both sponsoring this podcast now. So FIFA. Yeah. Have we reached golden nugget stage? Do we do we want to start sharing that, or, or do we still have observations about either the musicality or the lyrics? It's nugget time. Uh, yeah, this, this could be a nugget too, but I think like personally, like coming, growing up in the twin cities and, uh, kind of having a strong kind of emotional connection to the area, uh, this, this song always hits home because especially the line. And when we hit the twin cities, I didn't know that much about it. I know Mary Tyler Moore and I knew profane existence. 
So I think the interesting thing here, I mean, obviously it, it's a complete total reference to, to the Twin Cities, but the, the, the reference to Mary Tyler Moore, right? I think is an interesting thing because Mary, the, there was the show in the 70s called the Mary Tyler Moore show. This, this was before my time. I had to Wikipedia this before the show. But Mary Tyler Moore is, she's not from the Twin Cities, but that show was pretty prominent from my understanding. And there's a statue of her downtown Minneapolis. So the city has embraced Mary Tyler Moore as kind of one of, one of her own. So I, I always thought that was, so when I first heard the song, I, I thought Mary Tyler Moore was from the Twin Cities. I was like, oh, okay, she's, she's, she's from Minneapolis, but it was interesting that she's not. And then this other point about profane existence. So I think it's such a, I don't know if you all know what profane existence is, but it's in the punk rock scene in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Twin Cities, it was a, a, a magazine that came out and it was at all the punk rock record stores and it promoted shows and a lot of more of the hardcore Twin Cities scene. So I think it's just kind of an obscure reference, but when I hear it, it's just like, I have this image of picking up a profane existence at a record store in Minneapolis. I think it's this very kind of personal reference that I don't know how it works in the overall scheme of this song, but it just kind of, it just fits. It fits with this Mary Tyler Moore thing. It's like, okay, now I am in the Twin Cities. I just walked by the, walked by the Mary Tyler Moore statue and I saw a Profane Existence magazine or whatever. Right, so right. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting from a local perspective yeah, yeah, of yeah, how yeah. he ties, how he continues to tie in tie in those references right, to right, the right. Twin Cities. Yeah, I mean, I mean th this is just a great comment on how Minneapolis is is to Craig Finn what Yoctapatapa County is to Faulkner. You know, <laughs> the more specific and local he gets, the more universal he's able to get. He locates it in this sort of geography and everything is grounded in this geography. And yet because of that, because of, of that insistence, narrative insistence, things become globalized, universalized. Even though I don't have a profane existence specifically in my reference, I know what those magazines look like and where I'm from, you know, that, that would be my, my analog would be different, but I get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, and it's just, again, it's a smart profane existence sounds like something that Craig would say, right? It's has religious, not imagery, but religious tonality to it. So also Craig must've watched a lot of, sitcoms like reruns of sitcoms growing <laughs> up because we also had johnny fever last season wkrp right. in cincinnati like a lot of these right midwest based sitcoms which is really a thing back in the day huh i mean yeah it was three's company or not three's company laverne and shirley it's a milwaukee right one. milwaukee right oh yeah good times was in chicago yeah I grew up in Indiana. We were the Midwest. We were like the comedy font. We were just worthy of being worthy of being our eccentricities were worthy of being focused on in sitcoms. And we were just we, we and we we're worthy of being laughed at. We're very proud of that. So <laughs> Mike, you have any golden nuggets? Yes, I do. <laughs> get, get in the candy store. <laughs> I mean. Okay, so we might have to go back around to me after this one, but the carpet at the Thunderbird has a burn for every cowboy that got fenced in. I dragged a few friends to hold steady shows in like the 05, 06 range, and I played this music for them a lot, sort of whether they were, whether they wanted me to or not. And 
that line, that set of lines, they would shout that one out at the shows. They knew that one. And I think there's something about that. There's a, there's a mark left by someone running on hard times and that it's a cow, like a tough guy getting into trouble or whatever that, that thing actually means like in terms of signification, it, I just, it leads into one of those great back into the riff. And, and so it's just this, the, the lyrics, I think hit with extra force and then musically you're about to get decked as well. So that's one of my nuggets for sure is just from an experiential perspective, that point in the song is another one of those adrenaline, like got to jump in the air moments for me. That's nugget one. Cool. Of N, like we're doing a tweet thread. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows how long it could be. Yeah, so I'll ask for a reply reply guy to jump in now. Doesn't Dylan have a line referencing Thunderbird? Doesn't, you Dylan fans out there, remind me. Because I, I, I don't think that hotel shows up without by accident i think dylan has a reference towards there's a lot for some reason i hear dylan singing thunderbird and i, I can't really i just maybe, googled dylan maybe, thunderbird and yeah i don't know yeah <laughs> it's not maybe he's that's talking not about gonna the car. work let's just maybe, say that's not gonna work maybe he's talking about the car yeah kyle tell me what your nuggets are what if you if, okay. I don't know if this is really a, a well. This is kind of a nugget, but it's Kyle, kind of Kyle. A, if you think it's a nugget, <laughs> it's a damn nugget. <laughs> yeah, and and maybe Dan remembers this this person, but there there's a a reference to this in this song to a publicist named Jessica Hopper, who was a pretty prominent. She still is. She's a she's written for the City Pages, which wow. is a big Twin Cities weekly. She's a she was an editor at Pitchfork. She wrote for GQ, Rolling Stone, the New York Times Magazine. Basically, she was she's been around, and she's from the Twin Cities. I think she moved to Chicago now, and she she but in the she had a PR firm that worked for Thirty Music. She represented bands like Dismemberment Plan and some of the Jade Tree artists that that we reviewed back in the day. But apparently, she was pretty close friends with the Hold Steady. So this and. This is kind of hard. Uh, I don't know how to really break this down, but I read read an interview that Jessica Hopper was at a party with with the Cold Steady and Stevie Nicks. There's that line that says, "And the guys from the front lawn were making jokes about the White Swan." And apparently, that line comes from a party where they were out in the front yard, and Tad was out, and Jessica Hopper came, and was and she had a white uh, she had a knitted shawl over her neck, and then and Tad said, "What's up, Stevie Nicks?" And then she replied and she's like, you know what, Tad, I think you have more in common with Stevie Nicks than I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> was kind of uh, just an interesting kind of maybe I guess that would be an interesting nugget of how kind of tight knit that Minneapolis scene was back in maybe the early 2000s, late 90s. And maybe this was when even Lifter Polar was was still around, but. So I mean I hear I heard the name Jessica Hopper and I was like, oh my, of course Jessica Hopper has something to do with with the hold steady because it all kind of connects. So that was my my nugget. So when the the line, the guys are making jokes about the white swan, are is there like another subtle reference to Bjork and the white swan dress that that we can parse from that anecdote? Was 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 that was the white swan dress, was that pre-separation Sunday or post-separation Sunday? Which means if it's post. 
are the whole study, are they time lords? Are they prescient? And can they predict that a white swan dressed? The white swan does predate (laughs) Separation Sunday. So it's perfectly possible. When I heard that, I thought it was a reference to the black swan, the ballet, and the white swan and the black swan. I also have a Jessica Hopper nugget as well. Friend of the podcast, Leon Nafok, wrote a book about the rapper uh, slash oddball performer Juicebox, one of his close friends and a, a performer that he really looks up to. And one of the people who sort of first identified Juicebox when he was a teenager as an uh, interesting performer was Jessica Hopper. I think she helped launch his career a little bit. That's just meaningful to me, having grown up in Milwaukee, juice boxes in Milwaukee. And so at, at least in that time period, for people who cared about music in the sort of upper Midwest, Jessica Hopper was a real force. I didn't know that she was friends with the whole study, but it's very sort of cool to me to figure out that she has her fingers somewhere in this song. So great, right. great Hopper anecdote, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I just found out that I just found that Dylan reference in the song Up to Me, which wasn't actually released until we heard it on Biograph. Dupree came in Pippa tonight to, to the Thunderbird Cafe. Crystal wanted to talk to him, but I had to look the other way. Now I just can't rest without your love. I need your company. You ain't gonna cross that line. I guess it must be up to me. So I wasn't wrong. And if you remember that Dylan has a Thunderbird reference, which makes perfect sense because wow. he's, he's from the uh, Minneapolis area, Thunderbird Hotel. I, is, do you know, is it, does anyone know if there's a cafe attached to the Thunderbird Hotel? That would be kind of cool. So, hmm. Yeah. Next time I'm, I'm in the Twin Cities, I'm going to track down the Thunderbird. I've, I've, this one kind of went over my head because I'm not sure exactly what the Thunderbird is or how it relates in any way, but. I want. I do want to see the carpet now. Like the Thunderbird. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I imagine see. like a a concert venue that also doubles as like a torture chamber or something. <laughs> they're like burning a guy with cigarettes. That yeah. that's the cowboy that got fenced in. I don't know. My brain goes berserker mode when I hear that. If this is a Dylan reference, I think it might be the first one that we've been able to pick up so far, going chronologically really? through their songs. That I I. I can't think of another one. Someone should jump on this We've uh, cited if they can. A bit on the, either via the band or via the Catholic, the Catholic songs episode. He's come up, but yeah, I don't, really? I don't remember that we call that a lyric. I'll go looking for, I'm, I'm almost, there has to be a, a Dylan reference. I mean, it, Craigston's just too gifted a lyricist not to have been influenced in some small way by his fellow Minnesotan, and his fellow songwriter. So, yeah. We talked last week about Casanova, I think was on. Yeah, um, right. Who who ends up in, uh, uh, yeah, who ends up in. Uh, Desolation Row. De- Desolation Row, right, right. Whether yeah, yeah. Casanova is also a world So that's what I get for skipping an episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you guys we covered the whole thing last week and I'm here I come in with a bunch of. Well, we basically just talked in Dylan lyrics about the old steady. That's all we did. It was an amazing episode. You should have been there, Mike. <laughs> oh yeah that's great <laughs> i'll go with my nuggets which are first that there are just some really clever word plays here that feel like they must be references to something but quick google search wouldn't get me anywhere 
Some right. nights it's just a crush. Yeah, and some nights it's bloodlust. You know you're weak and a feat, and I'm coming up from the streets. I'm coming up the yeah. stairs. I'm coming from the streets. Those all sound... So they feel like there should be play on something. And Real then, quick, I thought it was your weak in the feet, like your feet were weak. <laughs> Maybe that's from a point of view of a soccer player, you know? <laughs> Could be a double double entendre. Could be double leading. I, oh, and the, the way the whispers bit like fangs in the last hour of the party, that's like a really poetic line slipped into the end of this song. Just feels like something that is pulling off something but i don't have it the quick fire sort of lines feel to, i just finished rereading catch 22 and you know a lot of catch 22 is like purposefully absurd which is one of the things where if you aren't into it it's irritating and if you are it's it's entertaining and entrancing and so stuff like she said i love the guys you can't trust meet me here about dusk and earlier, meet me back here around dawn. There's these sort of like weird, the logic is just its own logic. It's just circular and spins. That reminded me. The last thing, you came into the ER drinking gin from a jam jar and the nurse is making jokes about the ER being like an after bar. This came out in May 2005. And I did my first big sort of young adult trip to Europe that summer with the, my college wrestling team. And we went to... We flew to Berlin and then took a bus to Poland for a little over a week. And then the Baltic countries, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. And one of our nights in Lithuania, we were in the, this beach town of Palanga. And our coach had decided not to rent out. Like, we had to leave super early in the morning. And his logic was basically, well, you guys are staying out super late anyhow. We have to leave before the morning. So I'm just going to rent like a handful of rooms and you guys can just have fun for the night. And <laughs> the long story short is I think it was like an assistant coach's birthday and everybody and I didn't drink at the time. And I was like chasing around the two, one of the two Polish girls who was on the trip as our interpreter, even though by that point in the trip, they didn't actually have to interpret anything because we were now not in a Polish speaking place. But at some point, I rejoined with our teammates, and one of our heavyweight teammates punched one of our light heavyweight teammates in the lip and split his lip. And so, and because I was the one, <laughs> Lithuania, the second language there is Russian, I speak Russian, we ended up going to a hospital that night, and I was like there the whole night. And I just, that line was echoing. There was like some drunk there as well, who was just kind of right. like missing teeth. And it, it just, that's all I could hear that night was, the ER was like an after bar just in this like resort town in Lithuania. So that's always been a personal connection for me. You know, you know that, that you actually took my golden nugget because I love that line so much. And it's strange how even without the experience that you just shared, I could see it. Like I could see a bunch of guys, you know, and all guys, right. Just drinking in an ER, recovering from whatever wounds, either physical wounds or, or existential wounds of suffering. That's, I just, that's one of my favorite lines of all the Hold Steady songs. I think one of the things that we should mention too, just as sort of a golden nugget, and I did not know this until just today. So this song was actually written not just by Craig, but by Tad and also Galen Palivka, who's the bass player. So 
I don't, you know, I never really see his name uh, as a byline on Hold Steady Songs. And G Galen gets a songwriting credit for this. So I think that's that's really cool that they they that that uh, they let their bass player. <laughs> but by the way, poor bass players, they they never get any love. So I'm glad that 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 Galen got some love on this song and got some love on this album here. So that's my one nugget here. I think I pretty much tortured you all with my with my other nuggets that I extrapolated into big, huge. Uh, shattering theories that are really hold no air whatsoever. So um, uh, I, I won't share any more nuggets with you. Michael, any more nuggets for us? Okay. Yeah. Question nugget for you guys. Who wins in the ethereal, mystical, erotic presence, weirdo thing? Is it Kate Bush or Stevie Nicks who like takes the title? Because we've got both of them referenced here. Who's the queen of like weirdo... Well, well, wait, wait, uh, weirdo is, dream dream witch woman. Wait, pop wait, music. Is, is Kate referenced in this song? I know she's referenced on the other on on she's not referenced in this song, right? No, just, no, just no, 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 it's just on the album. Just on the okay. album. All right. Who 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 is who is the queen of heaven? Who is the queen of rock and roll heaven here? Is that what you're asking here? I'm asking. We have these two important women referenced, both in the similar sort of way. Mm-hmm. Which one sort of is fits that fits the role best in your opinion? I got my answer, but I'll I'll hold off until until uh, everyone else. Are either of the other ones of you brave enough to to touch this? Kyle, do you want to take a shot? <laughs> I I I, I polit politely have to say no comment because I I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I think, I think Kate Bush is more esoteric, which probably would make her my choice. But I think for the hold steady, Stevie Nicks is more clearly in there. They, I think they are more clearly channeling that sort of sound, that sort of world. I think Holly is closer to a Steve or Mary or whoever is closer to Stevie Nicks types than Kate Bush types. I don't think there's, yeah. Kate Bush is like wonderful, but eccentric and like more art school than I think the whole steady gets to. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree completely. And I think one of the things that, that the song leans into is the amount of drug use that happens in uh especially in this song right i was keyed up my keys jangled in stalls i'm talking about doing bumps of coke in the in the bathroom stalls yeah that's that's got stevie nicks written all over it i mean if rock and roll legends are to be believed poor stevie basically doesn't have a nasal cavity anymore because of her her addiction sadly i mean, which you know it, it didn't kill her but uh, it certainly uh affected uh, a huge dynamic inside Fleetwood Mac and inside her own talent. So, yeah, for the for the whole study, I think Stevie Nicks rules this album. Personally, man, I'm I mean, you you put Kate Bush in a tiger leotard, and you put <laughs> you put claws on her head, and I'm I'm all I'm oh I love that You're one. All I, I am all in, and okay. you have her singing. You have her singing Wuthering Heights. You have her singing Babushka, and I uh, I'm. Again, as I said on this podcast a couple of episodes, in the 80s, my plan, part of my master plan was to go to England and marry Kate Bush. I was just going to hang around until I met her and then marry her. So, yeah. 
Do we know what Kate Bush's views are on facial hair, M- male facial hair? I, 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 well, I, whatever they are, I will accommodate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we've uh, we've we now finally we have exhausted uh, Stevie Nicks this song. Next week we have a multitude of casualties episode or track seven on Separation Sunday. Thank you all for joining us, Dan, Mike, Kyle. Thank you all. S- say goodbye to our listeners, guys. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you as ever for listening to a positive jam. Thanks so much to friend of the program, Kyle Undum. Check out his music at Kyle and Como. That's K-Y-L-E-A-N-D-K-O-M-O dot bandcamp.com. They have an EP to listen to and buy. All song rights on this episode belong to the artists, as ever. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us wherever. Share us with a friend. Email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Tweet us at at Sean Westfall, at M. Brooks Taylor, and at Daniel Shortman. And if you're not sick of the commands, join us next week for a vision quest that will be driven like we stole it. To be 17 forever. And she got confused about the truth and she came to in a confession. She got high.